Three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Real View Podcast. I am your host, Blaine Ward. We're back again, again, again. Third time you charm, baby. I got my boy, Brett, back in the studio. I don't have a studio. What up, what up? <laughs> am I the first three-peat? I think you're the first three-peat, so, you know. I'm truly honored. Yeah, I think. Wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if we're counting the Halloween retrospective as one big thing, then, you know. Okay. We'll 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 we'll, yeah. we'll pull a kill bill on that one. Right, right. It's a kill bill. You know, it's one it's one pot. Yeah. So the first right. solo three peat is what we'll say. But you know, how you doing, man? Doing good, man. Good. Work's getting crazy, but ready to talk movies. Let's do it, man. As always, as always. Um. So I guess right off the bat, we'll jump into things. Uh, Tower of Terror has. So we knew it was coming out. We knew it was happening. And yesterday or two days ago whatever we we received news from above that uh our boy taika is coming in hot to direct it with scarlett johansson starring as well and if i already wasn't in enough you know as soon as that news hit i'm like all right i gotta check this out now i mean well we knew scarlett johansson was a part of it at least i knew she was attached to this previous to this news but then you like you double it up with the fact that it's a reteaming of Jojo Rabbit and Scarlett Johansson and Taika Waititi. It's like literally one of my favorite directors, <laughs> literally one of my favorite actresses, and literally one of my favorite rides at the Disney property. Yeah, it uh, e- easily my favorite ride in Florida. Honestly, it's so wow. I love that it's still the Twilight Zone, and you get that eerie lead up. And I just think if you're gonna go in this direction of more of a comedy, you pick no one better. Exactly. And if this comes to fruition, I will be first in line. Literally, the the only way this could have been more anticipated for me if the Muppets were also involved. In some way. <laughs> like, I'd watch it. I, hey, I'd watch it. I would break into the Disney studio to watch that early, like literally. Of course. Fanboys, like full fanboy moment. <laughs> you know, I've I actually just did a... I used to Tower of Terror for the first time a few weeks ago when I went to uh, Orlando, um, and it was incredible. So great! Yeah, no, it it's was awesome. so great. Yeah, I, I, Dude, I, the, I love, I love the haunted hallway. It makes you litter. Like I, I just spent the entire month watching thirty-one episodes of the Twilight Zone, uh, just because one a day, why not? Yeah, and that that lead up in the ride to like the actual like elevator shaft makes you feel like you are being transported into the twilight zone. Oh yeah, Truly no, there's that visceral, scene where like all visceral experience. Yeah, like all the lights just dim down and you see stars just like everywhere in 3D and I'm like, right. "Oh my god, what is going on?" And then of course right. the doors open and I'm like, "Light!" and then you fall. And then you just drop to your death. Yeah. Like, literally just fall. Exactly. Yeah, no, great so, ride. Right. Think fan. Uh, my my folks did not want to get on it. And so they're like, it's called the Tower of Terror, and I'm like, oh, yeah. all right, well, I'll see you guys later. But I did it myself, so you know, so it was great. It was an experience. Single rider line, baby. Exactly. You get through that. You get through it easy. That's the. That, by the way, for those listening to the pod, if you're going to Disney World or any, uh, you know, Florida theme park, single rider is the way to go. Cuts through that line like freaking butter, you know. Right, and then you don't have anyone else arguing with you about what ride to go on. Just. That's all you need. You just need you and uh, uh, one Disney ticket. Exactly. That's all you need. So, you know, if you learn anything from today, that's what you should. Wow. Do. That sounded a lot sadder than I thought. Maybe take a girlfriend <laughs> if you got one. I don't know. Dude's rock. You could um, both sit in the single rider line. There you go. 
But yeah, hey, that's what my family did. And, you know, it worked out pretty well. Um, yeah, I'm excited for the Tower of Terror thing. I, hopefully it'll be fun. They did a movie before, right? Did they do something in the 80s? Yeah, no, it was like 95, 6, 7, okay. around there. And it was like a Disney... I don't know if it was a Disney Channel original movie. Okay. Uh, very well could be. It's on Disney Plus now, but it's like Steve Gutenberg and a young Kirsten Dunst. Ooh. I'm pretty sure is in there. Okay. Uh, but I have not seen that since like childhood. With the okay. news, I literally almost watched it last night. Yeah. But I didn't. I didn't end up doing that. I just. It's very. I don't know. It's it's such it's such interesting casting, and then it's such interesting choice of director. Like. I, I'll still like I, I there were in 2016 there were rumors and like heavy rumors that Guillermo del Toro was going to do a, a haunted mansion movie and that was like the most anticipated thing for me and then there was also word that like Ryan Gosling was going to be the star of that movie but just over the years Guillermo has just slowly stepped away from doing that project and right. now it's uh, one of those infinite projects he's just shelved yeah and now we're getting a whole new movie with like Danny DeVito and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm all for all these Disney ride movies coming out. Yeah. Well, Jungle Cruise was good. At, Cruise. Right. Yeah. Was, was pretty dang entertaining in my opinion. So I'm ready to like expand the world of the Disneyland world universe. Exactly. I need Jack Sparrow and uh, uh, Dwayne's character from Jungle Cruise to interact. And, uh, Dude, I don't make me sad. I don't think we're ever going to see Johnny Depp in that costume ever. Yeah, again. it's probably true. It's probably true. Um, anywho, moving on. Uh, we got some new releases to talk about. Um, so not this past weekend, but the weekend before. Uh, we had a new movie from our boy uh, Wes Anderson, The French Dispatch. You might have heard of it. Um, it's kind of you know being talked around the indie scene right now. Um, this the uh, so the, the, this film is strange in that this is structured like a newspaper there are segments in this movie that are have like nothing to do with each other except for like kind of a little overlap story about this newspaper company um and normally i run down the cast but there are just so many cast members here like i will be as yeah big, it was like I, how like, much time you got yeah no it would take me like hours to run through this list point is if you've ever heard of an actor that's been in a Wes Anderson movie, chances are they're most likely in this. Um, the cast is just insane. Now, Brett, how many Wes Anderson movies have you seen? Like what, what's been your all experience? Of them. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen all of them bottle rocket to French dispatch now. Okay, cool. And what, like, what would you say are like your top? Um, uh, Budapest is up there. Um, Rushmore is up there. And my favorite is, uh, the life aquatic with Steve Zazu. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I respect that. Uh, I'm a Mr. Fo- I'm a fantastic Mr. Fox guy, but I do love me some grand Budapest as well. Um, I've just yeah. not seen those enough. I've only seen Isle of Dogs and fantastic Mr. Fox once. And I do love stop motion animation, but right. yeah, I haven't seen either of those since theaters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, always worth a rewatch down the line. Um, right. But I mean, you know, they had Wes Anderson's name on it. I was going to see this, you know, even if it was watching paint dry, because it would look like the best thing ever. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, this has been delayed for like a year and a half. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, man, like, am I really, you know, my hype kind of went down. I was like, oh, you know, maybe this won't be as good just because I was worried it might get like too confusing because from the trailer, like there's just so much shit going on. I'm like, oh, my God, like, what is this movie going to be? But it was delightful. Like, this was like a nice, warm, cozy movie. You know? Oh, I don't 
don't know about warm and cozy, but it was definitely delightful is a great word to describe it. I say uh, cozy only because I felt like I was being held in the arms of someone who knew that what they were doing the whole time, you know? Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. That's what um, I So over the pandemic with everything not happening in the film industry, a lot of the news we were getting about these movies that are like all starting to come out now was just these cast lists. Right. Like no knives out this, the don't, don't look up on Netflix. And that was what was getting everyone hyped. And I remember like this cast specifically was like mind blowing to me. Not only did you have all these like players, I know you didn't want to list them, but you had Bill Murray, Jason Schwartzman, you had Owen Wilson, Tilda Swinton, all these like repeat offenders in the West Anderson world. Uh, but then you had these huge, huge names like Jeffrey Wright, Benicio del Toro, uh, maybe the biggest young actor to date right now, Timothy Chalamet, all these oh, yeah. like huge names finally getting to dip their toes in the Wes Anderson world. That was what was getting me so excited about this movie. I knew like literally nothing plot wise going yeah. into watching it in theaters, like all these all this time later, all these delays later, I still kind of just like barely knew what it was about on the surface level level. I was just sold. Right. From the it, beginning with the they cast. had Wes Anderson, like I'm going to check this out. And I think that's the interesting thing about Wes Anderson is like his movies from a synopsis standpoint, like it wouldn't sound that interesting on paper, but it's just his style, it, yeah. the way he tells his stories. Like you can't just, you, you can't help him, but be invested in whatever's going on. Like mm-hmm. there's like four different things going on in this movie. And every time I'm like, oh yeah, okay. All right. I, I'm, I'm on board. Um, it's just incredible. I love I love his filmmaking style. And I mean, like, it feels like he's flexing. That's the thing in this movie. It feels like he is, like, showing off. And that is perfect. But, like, that opening scene uh, where they're, like, setting the, the little, like, dinner plate that's spinning around. And he's putting, like, items on it. I'm like, mm-hmm. Wes, my boy, you don't have to go off this hard. Like, what the hell? It You're like, ah, mm, oh, my God, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, like, it was exactly exactly what you're talking about, though. It's things like that that make Wes Anderson movies what they are. And it's crazy because I, I took a buddy to go see The French Dispatch, and he's just like, I just want to start being more of a film guy. And, like, this was the first Wes Anderson movie he'd ever saw. And I'm like, nice. what a wild one to start with because this is probably the most Wes Anderson, Wes <laughs> Anderson movie to ever Wes Anderson. Yeah. Uh, but then he went just back. Just recently, he went back and watched Bottle Rocket and... Uh, Rushmore and he's like wow his style has evolved yeah to this insane level where like you want you you look at like five seconds of a Wes Anderson movie and you can just tell who directed it it's so it's so iconically stylistic yeah uh and it's all that production design and costume design it's I know the awards talk kind of died down about this movie, but if those technical categories, uh, if French Dispatch goes unrecognized for those technical categories, that's just a damn shame. Violence will be committed. Um, that's all I'm going to say. The amount of time and effort he put into like the shortest scenes, like those just like cuts to where you were like looking at the past and present of like the same place. I'm guessing they spent maybe an hour, two hours, maybe six hours getting those scenes, just those five, six second images set up. And I'm like, it's that attention to detail that makes his style overpower his substance. You you said it yourself. All these stories are super simple. This is about just the different articles they want to add into the newspaper and the like weird eccentric people that they're talking about. And right. if you just told someone that they would be like, nah, what? 
why yeah. would I go see that? Boring. When you tell them, but it's a Wes Anderson movie, and they're like, oh, okay, oh. I get you. I get it now. Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm just so impressed. Um, and one of the things that I always appreciate about Wes Anderson is he knows how to use the viewer's eyes. Like, he knows, like, exactly what the viewer should be focusing on in the scene. There's, like, you know, 20,000 different things happening in this movie, but your eyes are following everything that's happening. They're like, again, the opening scene of the movie, the guy's like delivering, you know, the plate to uh, the, mm-hmm. the people in uh, Bill Murray's office. And he's going up like, you know, these convoluted like stairs and walkways and your eyes are following it the whole time. And it's just a testament to mm-hmm. kind of his visual language that he works with so well. Um, now, obviously, because this is uh, kind of, eh, you can call it an anthology. Um, there's three different stories. Oh, going on. Yeah, I mean, there's a prologue with Owen Wilson that I found pretty funny. Um, I found yeah. it too short. I agree. Yeah. Owen Wilson needs to be in the movie more. Yeah. I'm <laughs> always under the impression of you'll never have enough Owen Wilson in a movie. That's true. That's true. I agree. But uh, so the three segments that we have are there's one about uh, Tilda Swinton uh, and Phoenicia del Toro, uh, and Leah Sedu, where Phoenicia del Toro is like a, uh, he's a prisoner who paints this picture of Leah Sedu, and Adrian Brody tries to purchase it, and then, you know, chaos ensues. Um, and then there is a manifesto one with Frances McDormand, where, uh, she's covering the student revolution that Timothy Chalamet leads, uh, and then there's a third one where Jeffrey Wright is this food critic, uh, who kind of gets himself caught up in this uh, kidnapping case and is solved by a, a chef. Uh, which of these three was your favorite that you... Uh, the Timothy Chalamet, Francis McDormand one. <laughs> Easy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that I, I don't know. They, they, they were all super entertaining and I would 100% watch any of those three stories as their own feature-length film. Right. Like, those, just those concepts are super interesting and, like, yeah. combined with Wes Anderson style, it's all I'd want to watch. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, there's something about I one Timothy Chalamet, the it, like it, the way he played his character was super cool. I love the French girl and like yeah. the weird love triangle with Francis <laughs> McDormand, whatever. But yeah. uh, I will say that it, Jeffrey Wright is the new Morgan Freeman. In my opinion, I want him to narrate my life. Yeah. Jeffrey Wright is really I, like, he's had a great fall with what if uh, French dispatch and then no time to die. Like the man's killing it right now. Yeah, plus in about four months, he's going to be Commissioner Gordon. Exactly. The man's on a high right now. I he, He's well-deserved. I, he's, I think he's one of the best actors out there right now, at least when it comes to voiceover. Right. Uh, yeah, I like the Timothy Chalamet one a lot. Uh, I think my favorite was the Benicio del Toro, uh, Leo Sanu one, only because I thought uh, I it, it struck a fine line between comedy and sentimentality really well. Because um, one minute you're laughing your ass off, and then the other moment you're like, oh, that's kind of sweet. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I But I liked all three of them. I mean, yeah. I think for me, the second one was just, I was, was the funniest in my opinion. I mean, the moments that they were just like sitting in bed and he was like, was that was my mom? What why, what'd you tell her? I told her that you were here working on your manifesto or whatever. And he's right. like, oh, yeah. And but then yeah. My, my favorite delivery from him is when he, you know, they're having this nice, quiet conversation. And then he goes, well, I am upset. You know, I thought yeah. that was great. Uh, you know, I will me. say, though, my favorite moment, my favorite, like, directorial choice in yeah. the entire movie was uh, in your favorite when the Benicio del Toro one. It was yeah. when they showed 
the act of aging by having Tony Revolori, who I love to see. That was such a surprise. I did <laughs> not know he was going to be in the movie. And he's yeah. little, he was in Grand Budapest Hotel. So it makes sense that he comes back. Right. He's playing a young, the young version of Benicio Del Toro sitting in his cell. And to show the aging of 11 years, they just had Benicio come into the scene, tap him on the shoulder. Tony gets up. Benicio sits down and they're like, boom, 11 years later. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen aging shown so simply and so stylistically oh, yeah. ever before in a movie. And yeah. I loved it. That it literally might have been my favorite moment of the movie. I knew as soon as I saw that, I was like, we are in for a goddamn treat. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, obviously with the Wes Anderson movie, you're bound for some visual flair. This is the craziest he's been as far as there are black and white sequences, there are color sequences, there's an mm -hmm. animated segment, there's a theatrical segment. Um, you know, like there's a, like you said, there's kind of an age change moment. Like there's so many, even if you're not vibing with what the story is saying, there's something always going on that's new visually that's going to like blow your mind. And, you know, for the entirety it's of this experience, I'm like, oh man. This is incredible. I'd contest it's just like modern art. It's so unique in of itself that it, you're just very much attracted to it, no matter what it actually is or the substance of the content. Of course. Now, you know, seeing as we have a huge cast, uh, who would the standouts be if you had to pick out uh, standouts from the cast? I would say our three leads for the three stories for sure. Yeah. Uh, Bill Murray, kind of the through line guy. Every time he hit the screen, I was in love and I wanted to see more of him. Yeah, that's the that is, that's my one of my like disappointments with the movie, obviously, with this huge cast and only such a limited runtime. We weren't going to get to see as much of everyone like Jason Schwartzman got like two seconds of I, I didn't even know he was in the movie I, I, I know I until him, the like, very it end it was crazy yeah uh Elizabeth Moss didn't yeah, get she's much in it for like two seconds yeah Ronan didn't get any time at all yeah but it's just like yeah they were there just because he probably everyone wants to work with with Anderson so I don't think it was a hard call to make for him to be like hey maybe you just come in and like we do like a quick scene and you play this character blah 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 right and you're exactly. in the movie for like two seconds yeah, I agree with you. Uh, the three leads in the stories are really good. Uh, I thought Adrian Brody almost damn near stole the show. Uh, oh, yeah. Yep. In the Venetian Elitorio segment. I just thought he was hysterical. Um, and then, I mean, I'm, I'm just a big Tilda Swinton fan. Anytime she shows up, I'm always like, yeah. And Frances did her thing, dude. She's, oh, yeah. I mean, she's as good as ever still. She's never bad. <laughs> she's no, always great. It's great. Well, I mean, dude, best actress two times, like, Oh, yeah. it's, they don't give that award to her twice for no reason. Exactly. Yeah, no, she's amazing. Um, and, you know, good for her. But yeah, I mean, it was just such a fun time. Uh, you know, it, it felt like you were being, I, I just felt like I was in the hands of, like I was saying, the hands of the director where you, he knows exactly what he's doing and he wants you to know what, what he's doing. It's crazy. Right. It's Francis's dry delivery for me, I think. It's like <laughs> in almost every movie, even like Fargo, with the accent her delivery is so dry so serious and like anything that like anything could come off as funny just because of it right i don't know yeah uh the other thing i really liked was the score uh obviously you brought oh, back yeah. uh alexander and uh having worked with him on brand Budapest and i love dogs um but what i loved about it is like and this is a very simple thing but like with every segment the score had a different like theme and i just i was just like oh yeah this is great. Like with every different story, there is just like new music being played. And it's just such a nice detail. I'm like, ah, thank you. 
So I don't know if that'll get any uh, recognition this fall, but who knows? Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's again, I, 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 you can't, you really can't zero into on one performance. So I don't see that. You, can, I don't think yeah. Wes Anderson is at the level where he's going to get nominated for director. Uh, again, wait, was he for Budapest? That I, I don't actually know. That's I literally was just like that. I had to stop mid thought because I'm like, <laughs> did he get nominated for Grand Budapest that year? I'm looking this up. Well, if was... if he did, I wouldn't be surprised. And if he didn't, that's a damn shame. And I... then I would think he would never actually be able to be nominated if that was the case. I agree. I'm looking this up. Okay, yeah, you got nominated for best director. Okay. Uh, for Grand yeah, Budapest. that makes sense. But like, this is just. It's too much. It's yeah. too much of his style for the Academy to be like, yeah, we're fully supporting this. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how this fares in the awards game when it comes. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I was just so like, I was just so satisfied by this. You know, I it felt like I was being served an entree and a full full course meal. And I was like, yes, give me more. And the thing was, I saw it the first time and I was like, yeah, you know, this is really good. And then for some reason, like it started to fade in my memory. I'm like, is it really that good? And then of course I rewatched it uh, mm-hmm. last week and I'm like, no, 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 this is great. I'm having a great time. So, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was excellent. Uh, if you're a Wes Anderson fan, you'll most likely love this. And if not, you still might like it. I assume. I don't really know anybody so. Like I said, my buddy who never seen a Wes Anderson before in his entire life, I took him to see it and really liked it. Now he's going through his entire filmography. So I would say well, it's very much go. worth it. If you're if you're a fan of film and like you're you're open to like this, this just weird style that that Wes Anderson has just literally patented. Then, yeah, yeah. easy, easy watch. And. Right. You can come to Marcus Chesterfield as of next week because we got it on the third week of release, apparently. Yo, there you go. Bam, nice. did like 700 theaters and we finally got a booking. Yeah, well, that's what happens with Searchlight. They're always just, their distribution, uh, the distribution of Fox Searchlight is just always screwy. So, you know, it'll be, well, although I think they're just called Searchlight now, but still, point for me. Right, exactly. It's all, it's all under that big Disney umbrella. God bless the mouse. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, French Dispatch, highly recommend. Uh, you should check it out. Uh, the other new release we had was the new Edgar Wright film, uh, Last Night in Soho. The stars Thomas and McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, Matt Smith, uh, Diana Ray, Karen Stamp, some other players as well. Uh, this is the newest Edgar Wright movie, and this is the second Edgar Wright film this year. Uh, he did a documentary in the summer called The Sparks Brothers, which you should really check out. It's a lot of fun. Um, and On what, Netflix. Uh, yeah, oh, right, exactly. Um, but the thing about this is this is Edgar Wright's first horror movie. Uh, normally he's known for uh, kind of his comedies, what with his I'm sorry, I, I do have to interject. Yeah. What would you consider Shaun of the Dead if not a horror comedy? It's literally a zombie movie. Hey, no, 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 no. I, I agree. I'm just saying he's mostly known like for his comedy through line is all I'm saying. I'm, okay. Like last night. So is a, more of a horror than a horror. He's been he's been practicing his horror elements throughout every single movie he's made i agree i agree there's a lot of like scary moments in shot of the dead and world's end in particular hot fuzz there's so much gore oh you're right no wait hot fuzz is some scary stuff too at world's end has the the when they open their mouths and the lights that's like incredibly terrifying so i think i mean this this was an easy uh an easy turn for him to make into the genre of horror but i wouldn't say it's his like first uh like his first attempt at a horror sure 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 um so 
ladies and gentlemen, we have we're gonna have a first on this pod. Uh, you know, this is gonna this is gonna pain me. This might pain you. Um, being the Edgar Wright fan that I was, uh, I did not enjoy this movie, and I'm ashamed to say that. But I was hyped. This was like right after Dune. I'm like, this is my most hyped movie of the year. And uh, oh, oh boy, um, <laughs> a tough feat, which we'll get into. But before we do, uh, Brett, what did you think of last night's song? Don't you worry, folks. There are there are level headed people on this podcast today because <laughs> I absolutely loved this movie. It's easily one of my top five of the year. Wow. OK. As a huge Edgar Wright fan as well. Yeah. I thought that this was maybe his most audacious uh, attempt at a project so far in his career. Uh, six movies in and I don't think he's missed once. So, I mean, yeah, let's get into it. I have to know. Yeah. What 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 went wrong with it? Because we we had been talking about this movie for so long, just so hyped about it. And then I see your review on Letterboxd <laughs> and I was just like, wait, no, you texted me first. You're like, check my review. And I'm like, oh, no. Bro. Yeah. All I, all I said was, Brent, what? I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. You started with apologizing. Yeah. Well, I knew but, I yeah. knew this was going to happen. I couldn't um, believe it. I've been waiting like six days now to figure out why. Yeah. So give it here, to me. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. This let me let me let me go back real quick and let me just read the premise for those who are not aware. And I think unfortunately we're gonna have to get into spoilers about this movie. Um so oh, absolutely. If you're gonna if you're gonna see this movie, check it out. I even though I wasn't big on it, I still recommend it. Um, you know, I'm sure I, I, it seems to be causing a lot of conversation. So you might like it, you might not, that's fine. But uh once you see it, come back here and uh you know listen to us uh, rant about it. Um so Here's the thing. I thought that visually, this is some of Edgar Wright's best stuff that he's done. Um, obviously, there's a lot of just crazy color going on. There's a lot of really insane camera movement, especially from uh, there's kind of a switcheroo between Thomas and McKenney's character and Audie Taylor Joy's character. Uh, when Thomas and character Thomason's character ends up like in the 60s, there's a lot of really cool shots that they do to show like how both of them are there in the same moment. However, I just felt like this was empty. Like I, the story didn't grab me. And I don't, I, I thought this was something where, you know, with the structure, the structure of the way this movie played out, obviously we were going from the present to the past and the present to the past and the present to the past. That's all well and good. However, I found the present stuff just so uninteresting. And I don't know whether that was the casting or whether that was the writing. I thought Thomas and McKenzie was doing an all right job, but I just couldn't get into the story. I thought it was poorly paced. I thought the mystery itself, while yes, unexpected in a few places, I just felt it was kind of messy. I don't know. It, it was a very weird experience because every now and then there'd be, it, it just felt like an inconsistent experience when like there's some sequences where I was like, oh, okay, this is really cool. Like I'm really into it. And then other sequences, I'm like, oh, this isn't doing it for me. Like for, as far as a horror movie, I wasn't really all that scared. And I, the thing is, Edgar Wright has been talking about in, and you know, this might be the pretentious uh, film student talking here, you know, oh, I'm not scared of anything. But Edgar Wright was hyping this movie up. He's like, this is going to like, this is a roller coaster. This is going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on something that will scare you. And I just thought the, the, the ghosts that we see in the movie just weren't that scary to me. And I don't know. I just never felt 
this suspense or intensity that the movie really wanted me to feel. And I just felt by the end, like I couldn't really grasp on anything. There wasn't any like tangibility um, as far as the story and the themes that they were presenting. But I'm interested to hear your take. Why, why did you so, like that? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm glad you find, you mentioned the themes because that's what I've been seeing is a lot of people are like, they're, they're seeing the themes and the thematic elements on a very surface level. But sure. like, I feel like the, the whole movie yeah. is a reflection on how when I like, and obviously I'm, I'm maybe not the best person to speak on this as a cis white male or whatever, but it's just when male talking. I apologize. The, the movie's overarching theme is the fear women have had for generations of men and in like in society in general, of course, and how that, the, and I love how Edgar Wright uses the supernatural elements combined with time travel, combined with just real world situations to uh, just show this. I think they did a great job with the script. I, cause I have to disagree with you. I think the story was structured really well, both parts. I was very much interested sure. in the relationships that were being portrayed. I love the character of John. I thought he was a great addition to the movie. That was the boyfriend, right? Yeah. Well, uh-huh. the guy, the like the interested guy right. uh, in Thompson McKenzie's character. Right. Uh, Cause I thought he was super like chivalrous and like an honest guy. And I don't know. I, 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 I can kind of see where, why the pe- people could be divisive. I love the designs of the faceless men sure. because I thought it was another aspect of the story being like, it could literally be any man, anytime, whoever, you know, like, and obviously it's, with it's Anya's like experiences. Fa- yeah. It, exactly. It's like they would blend into each other. Yeah, of course. And, and they explained pretty well how Thompson already had like her childhood trauma with her mom uh, killing herself and like how she has the connection to the supernatural. Right. And how the room it, it like heightens that connection to the supernatural. And that's why she's experiencing these things that Anya Taylor Joy's character is experiencing Sandy. But when you, you are, you're exactly correct in your assessment of this is de- not only probably it's definitely Edgar Wright's most visually stunning movie that he's yeah. ever done. Yeah. Well, uh, no, but, actually, well, the one we're going to talk about. Uh, I that, that is I would say that's the most visually unique. Okay. This one really, really looks like the cleanest, the slickest. The effects look re- besides like the faceless men and the ghosts. All the effects look very, very realistic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very like the all the all the stuff he does with mirrors throughout the movie. Like you said, the camera work they did, the dance sequence in the first act of the movie Insane. is apparently a one take. Oh my they God. seamlessly switch Anya and Thompson out as they're like coming around the cameras. Holy shit. All in all one take. That's wow. what I think I saw on an interview or a YouTube video that I watched with uh, Edgar Wright and Collider. That's cool. Uh, but like it's those all those production elements that I think like really elevated this movie. And then you get into the third act and they really lean into the gore of the horror. You have mm-hmm. like the knife fight. You have like the multiple stabbings. And you right. just, that's when I thought that I'm like, okay, so this movie is literally a crescendo. We started off very slow, very basic. We have a girl who's moved to a new town and has a bitchy roommate. So right. she goes and finds a new place to live so that she can hopefully succeed at this fashion school that she's at. And as the movie, as the movie goes on, <laughs> you totally see just the intensity build and build and build. till we get to this nonstop third act that feels like a, like I didn't again, disagree, maybe not scary, sure. but this is a tense movie. 
you're always like I I very much connected to Thompson's character. There is a scene where she's like pleading for her money back from Diana Riggs' character. Of course, her performance and that was incredible. Yeah. Uh, there's the there's the aspects of like her at the the what the library where she's like running away from the thing and then she ends up with a knife in the face of the the thing. I was like that like jaw dropping. Like yeah. just sitting there with my mouth open in the theater. I thought that was like, oh my God, that was amazing. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm still not, I'm not sold on like, why, I, why didn't you totally get invested in the story? Because I, I loved the character. I wanted her to succeed. I wanted her to be safe the whole time. Right. And like Sandy, as she developed, like that twist obviously was a little see-through. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not, not, end. yeah, that wasn't, uh, I wasn't, uh, not, not wasn't a, but what about the Terrence stamp reveal? I thought that was a lot more subtle and, and a lot more satisfying than the other one. And I thought that totally made up for the fact that like, I could kind of see where this was going before it started going that direction. Right. I was surprised that uh, Sam Clayton made a cameo. I was like, what the hell is he doing here? Um, and then he showed up, uh, obviously, you know, he's revealed to me uh, Terrence stamps, uh, younger version. Um, I, it, and just, and I couldn't, there, there was just nothing I could latch on. Like, I'm, the weird thing is with Edgar Wright's movies, like, this seems like the next point in his career, and even from a story standpoint, because the Cordero trilogy is about kind of, like, you know, growing up and kind of, you know, maturing into this, like, they're, they're all about kind of nostalgia as well, how, you know, Edgar Wright has been pulling from, you know, obviously zombie movies, which are the dead, you know, Michael Bay, uh, you know, uh, Gore Verbinski, like action movies in Hot Fuzz and World's End, you know, kind of like apocalypse uh, alien movies. And obviously this is an interesting step in the way of like the, okay, like, like romanticizing nostalgia can sometimes not be a good thing. And I, 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 I respect that. And just by the end of the movie, I couldn't really tell what he was trying to say with it obviously what you were saying you know obviously there's a there's an angle on there about kind of the fear that women have to go through every day and kind of externalizing that in this horror story but by the time we get to the reveal of Annie Taylor Joy having not being murdered uh but the murderer and you know I I just felt like I didn't really know who to root for I didn't really know what he wanted me to take away because at the same time, she murdered all these people, which is a bad thing. And then, right, uh, you don't root for Sandy, but you root for Thompson's character. Absolutely, right. You but, then like, but then Thompson's like, but then Thompson at I the end is how like, you're not oh, on board with you. Ellie as a, a main character. That's what's kind of confusing me here. It's like they start they from the very beginning of the movie. They start off and make her feel like so genuine, like they show her love and her passion for her for fashion right. right off the bat, and and then you see that she's going to the big city and leaving her grandma all by herself. And that's super endearing, but that like, they have this like very deep bond and you get that little, like just tease moment of his, her mom in the mirror. And then she's gone. And you're like, just that's again, I'm going to use this idiom, this idiom again, but it's just dipping the toe into like, what's to come yeah. into that big crescendo. I was just talking about. I just but feel like when Edna right off like the bat, I was, I was so, I was rooting for Ellie the entire time. Okay. And I don't get how you didn't click with that. 
I the thing is, Edgar Wright is known for like I feel like with all these movies, there's a it's big, because it's, it's not Simon Pegg. That's what it is. That's right? probably it. Yeah, I need. If this was Pegg. Simon Pegg playing Ellie, this would be a whole other story. That's We'd right. Honestly, I'd be and then get Nick Frost and <laughs> Anya Taylor Joy, and it'd be incredible. Um, yeah, Nick Frost is Anya Taylor Joy exactly. Perfect. No, that's all I'm saying. Elite is, casting. Right. All I'm saying is that Edgar Wright's movies. Until this one, and again, this is a personal experience. Who knows how uh, you're going to feel? Who knows how people will feel coming out of this? Because it's been a, kind of a mixed reception. But Enderite's movies have always had like a very clear, like the script is just so tight, and items have always been like, you know, like there's just callbacks everywhere, like Hot Fuzz. The entire third act of Hot Fuzz is just one giant callback to everything that they've been talking about. And with Last Night in Soho, I just felt like there was so much unanswered. Like I, the mother, obviously they set up at the beginning that the mother, uh, you know, is not around anymore, committed suicide. And they just don't do anything with that until the last shot of the movie. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, this doesn't mean anything. Like, obviously, okay, she has trauma, but like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? And then not only that, but I felt like even establishing Ellie's character, I just felt like they tried too hard in a way where it's like, you know, obviously she's supposed to be nostalgic about the 60s. That's kind of the main character trait. She just won't shut up about it. There's like 10 lines that she has where she's like, oh, I wish life was like in the 60s. And I'm like, all right, we get it. You've said that. I understand. You don't need to like drill me down with this I information. I definitely did not feel the same. I didn't feel like they were hammering it home like that at all. I was just like, I thought that was Edgar. like maybe one conversation that she had. I don't know. And then I don't know if this is Ender's fault. The other thing is he co-wrote this with, uh, I have her name right here. Uh, Christy Wilson Kierens, I think yeah. is how you pronounce it. And she wrote 1917, which let's be honest, 1917, not the best script. It's a good movie, but nobody's talking about the script in 1917. So, I don't know. I think she, I think she had a heavy hand to doing into like helping with establishing the elements and the themes that I'm talking about. Like you want a female perspective when you're writing this. It's why Ben Affleck, and Matt Damon went and found a, a female director to help him with those aspects of Last of Duel. I just feel it's like why it's why uh, Emerald Fennell's promising young woman won the best uh, original screenplay, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, so it just felt I, I think, it, I, think like, was, I don't. I don't know. I can't. Like I. The, I, I just wasn't into so it. I wasn't into I, it. The, I'm normally I, okay, into like get, every single Edgar Wright movie. Every single one. I, I I'm know. a big Baby Driver fan. And From the moment Baby Driver started, I was like, oh, I'm in. Scott Pilgrim, oh, I'm in. Sparks Brothers, I was like, okay, I don't know anything about this. I'm in. Last Night in Soho, it started. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of slow. Hopefully it'll pick up. And it kind of did. And then it just got stupid. And I didn't know what they were saying at the end. I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. I don't, I don't know. I, every choice Edgar Wright made felt so precise and so thought out like dude i i got goosebumps like 25 i, I made it know 25 <laughs> minutes in it's the moment where she's walking down the alley uh, up to the theater that's playing thunderball right the the sound in the theater oh was yeah it's like coming boom. out yeah, of the yeah. center channel yeah the entire first 20 minutes five minutes and i had no idea so when she finally hit the pass and she was in the 60s on the street and it was right. hustling and bustling the surround sound finally came into uh, like uh, came in thundering. Yeah. And I got chills. I'm yeah. like, that was such a, an amazing technical decision that went unnoticed sure. and that paid it off in spades. Yeah. I like that. Like I here's the thing. I don't know if I'd call this a bad movie. I just like for the love, like for the love, okay. I, just couldn't, I couldn't I enjoy can take it. that. Yeah. No, I'm not saying this is bad. I just thought it was messy. And for and you're right who has such a solid track record up until now. Like I just didn't understand the characters. I didn't understand 
what do you I feel like there's say? a longer movie somewhere that establishes uh a little bit more of the supernatural stuff because I, I thought they, I ver- they touched very a longer le- movie. right this movie was well, like they, less than two no. hours and i'm like oh my god can we like wrap it up like this movie felt like it was like years right know. i felt like they no dude i the pay- i am always someone that has an issue <laughs> with pacing but this movie felt like it flew by. I felt like like before I knew it, we were the movie was rolling credits, and I'm like, damn. I think I think but, that might be it because it, it's a level of investment, right? I think if you don't, obviously, for someone like you who is like you know into it from minute one, obviously the story was going. But for me, I just couldn't get into anything that was happening in the present. I didn't really like the boyfriend character all that much. Thomas and McKenzie was doing an all right job, but I thought her character was a little obnoxious, and I don't know, like. It just took a while to get going. I think it's just a matter of pacing and confusion. I don't know. I, I was just let down. The entire movie, my soul was just sinking. And I'm like, Edgar, my man, come on, buddy. Help me. And, you know, I don't know. Like, I like the Sparks Brothers documentary better than this. What I, the hell? Yeah, no, nah, dude, that one bored me kind of to tears. I didn't... <laughs> I'm like, I don't actually count this in Edgar Wright's lexicon because it would taint it. <laughs> I hear you. But I yeah. watched it. Right, right. I don't know. It, and His then, name got me to watch it. I don't know. I also just felt like the last scene in the movie felt a little too like happy for me. Where like I, I, if this was my opinion, at the end of the movie, end it with her in the ambulance, like breathing or whatever, and end it that way. But instead, we get like this happy-go-lucky fashion montage, and then you know Anya Taylor Joy appears in the mirror, and it's like, oh, she overcame her trauma. I'm like, all right, fuck that. We didn't need that. Like. Why, like, but the whole film is about mental illness and trauma, and like how those but can, that like, didn't come across, and like, how they just present so much going on. Yes, they, oh, yes, it did. Ugh. That's the whole thing. It was what was happening to Sandy's character was a fre- reflection of uh, Ellie's character's own fears, mental instabilities, and traumas of her past life. And just like that's why this like connection to the supernatural, that's why it like came to be. Right. That's why. And I also think that's why she saw it incorrectly because she was so invested in what Sandy was and like Sandy being the victim that she in her mind, like or her own su- supernatural subconscious, she couldn't help but see it in reverse where she sure. was the victim. Yeah, I don't and know. That's that because of felt... her own trauma. She couldn't. She couldn't comprehend a, a woman being the the villain in the situation. It was yeah. that they're victims. Right, right. Especially in that time frame too. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I can see that. That, that makes yes. sense. Um, okay. It didn't come across that way when I was watching it, but I see. What, I see what you're saying. Maybe a repeat viewings. I'm not order, watching this I, again. I, wow, I'm not watching this again. Wow. I'm not. I I was just uninterested. Like I was born, and I hate saying this because Edgar Wright's my boy. I walked in wearing a goddamn T-shirt saying "Directed by Edgar Wright," and by the time it was over, I just zipped up my jacket walking out. I'm like, I can't do this. I I'm happy that he's satisfied with the progress that he gave, Um, but this was a letdown, and I want him to reteam with Simon Pegg and give me another three Fortnite trilogy movies. That's what I want. Um, I mean, that's, I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen. No, but I think a reteaming down the line is very much in order. I want to keep, I just want to keep seeing what Edgar Wright has to offer. I agree. I agree. At least there, this was like, conceptually, this was a cool idea, right? Like the whole, and, and with the technical sequences that are going on, especially like, 
even the thing about Wright as a filmmaker is every movie he's always done something really cool that's always like you know just kind of set it set him up like ever since Cornetto trilogy like all right Scott Pilgrim you know like we're about to talk about visually that movie's insane baby driver the editing and sound design and you know the choreography of everything insane last night in soho the choreography and the switching of like the mirror shots and all that stuff insane like as a filmmaker technically he's improving with every movie he makes mm-hmm. i just i just need i need a little more in the script department and i felt like there's just a lot that i you know what i at the end of the day i think this movie will be divisive enough there's going to be enough people your mindset that I think this comparison is incredibly like spookily accurate. Uh, So if you count Kill Bill as two movies, the uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino's sixth movie, I'm pretty sure is Death Proof. Right. And this is Edgar Wright's sixth movie. And Uh. I think those both are the most or the like we just talked about how Wes Anderson French Dispatch is. These are the least Edgar Wright and the least Tarantino movies that you've ever that we've gotten. But Right after Death Proof, we get Django Unchained, Hateful Eight, Inglorious Bastards, exactly. And so what comes next from Edgar Wright might be some of his best stuff. And I agree. I'm I'm still excited about. I'm still 100% in for whatever he's doing. I'm just, I was just let down because I like my boy, you know, it, it, it wasn't exactly a swing and a miss. But it was a swing and the ball's going and it looks like it's going to be a home run. And then it just kind of falls into the foul ball territory. So, you know, that's my best comparison. I appreciate the sports analogy. You know, I, I can do my best. I don't know that much about sports. So really, it works. It was, it was a miracle um, that it happened. But I don't know. I The thing is, it'll be interesting to see what's been interesting is seeing the conversation that's been happening around this movie. Because no one's really like in agreement. There's no like general consensus on it because people are either in the in your category where they're like, oh, this was amazing. Like Edgar Wright, top of his game. Like he's still, you know, he's still got it. There are people like me who was like, I don't really understand what was going on here. And then there's people who like absolutely despise it. So it's really kind of all over the spectrum. You know who's in my camp though? Jack Black, Doug Benson, uh, Taika Taika? all tweeted about how much they love this movie. Yeah, but how much of that, how much of that, how much of that was, uh, you know. No, uh, (laughs) no, I don't think it was anything of that. It's probably just like they're friends with Edgar Wright and they don't want to be insulting. I would believe that before like bribery. (laughs) Edgar Wright, just give me a little tweet. I give you a little scratch off the side, yeah, exactly. I don't know. But hey, I will say like his soundtrack sto- choices are still really great. Always. Um, yeah, I mean, always. That man can't miss with the soundtrack. Um, and even I really like Anya Taylor-Joy's cover of that downtown. It was in the oh, trailer, yeah? when that happened in the movie. I'm like, she's killing it. She's killing it. Uh, I mean, she's, she was both of those actresses are both like, you know, like I'm, I, I think high key. I think everyone has their opinions about Anya Taylor-Joy. I think those that her and Thompson are literally two of the most like brightest stars to enter Hollywood and just we should we need to absolutely watch out to see what they have coming next oh yeah they're like they're in full takeover I think they're both very much on their way for an Oscar to an Oscar oh yeah especially down the line like Imani Taylor Joy in the next five years a couple years yeah yeah because like I even like Thompson in like old yeah she wasn't that bad she was really good in that movie yeah I know yeah which you know for old, for what it's worth, impressive. right? Exactly. Yeah, for an M Night movie, I think she's a standout. Is a good thing. Yeah, I don't know. So, would I recommend this? Oddly enough, yes. Just so I, I'm interested to get 
like I I, I want to get a, a consensus poll going on um, of just where people are at with it. Um, and it, the weird thing is, like maybe five seven years down the line, people will look at this as like underrated and maybe appreciate it more. But I don't know. As it stands, personally, couldn't really get into it. But I am happy that you enjoyed it. I mean, it's Edgar Wright. Like the man's yeah, talented. I just enjoy it. I freaking loved it, bro. Right. I mean, you know, the man. He's great. I love the guy. He's wholesome. I would. I don't know. In a year of just like really basic ass stuff, especially like a lot of the blockbusters over the summer were kind of bland as hell. Sure. This is like it was very much a refreshing watch. This and French Dispatch were both very refreshing to see real auteurs doing what they do best, and in like the the like in their strongest of fashions, in my opinion. Of course, of course. So moving on, uh, movie of the week, very fitting. You know, we broke each other's hearts, but now we're here to mend it back up for everybody. Uh, we're here to end it on a good note. Uh, we're talking Scott Pilgrim versus the world. This is the 2010 uh, cult classic at this point now. Um, and you're oh, yeah. right back in the director's home. Uh, All star cast here. Michael Cera, Elizabeth, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Ellen Wong, Karen Culkin, Alison Pill, Johnny Simmons, Jason Swartzman, Anna Kendrick, Aubrey Plaza, Chris Evans, Brandon Ruth, Brie Larson, Mae Whitman. Holy shit. Uh, how come this movie? Oh, how dare you dollars? leave out Mark Webber? And Mark Webber. Even exactly. stills the dis- the disrespect. And I think, oh, God, what's young Neil's? Neil- young Neil's name's like Simon something. Yeah, Johnny Simmons. I said that. Yeah. Oh, Johnny Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, right off the bat, why didn't this make a billion dollars at the box office? I don't know, dude. Like, it made like fifty million dollars, and I think it's just because, dude, the the brand just wasn't there. There, the the, the, even the comic was super niche. Yeah. Not a lot of people had read it, and so like, just the concept wasn't there. But you're right. It's it's crazy that so few people had seen or watched this movie in theaters. Well, and especially this came out now, like with the cast it had, like there are so many future A-listers in supporting roles in this cast. Not only future A-listers, but like future suit past and present superheroes, past, present and future superheroes, because Brandon Routh was like Superman. And then he was also the Adam and then Chris Evans and Brie Larson and even got the Punisher in there as Thomas Jane is one of the police officers. Yeah. Exactly. Literally just so many uh, comic book characters. It's crazy. Right. Exactly. Um, now, for those who don't know of this movie, uh, first off, how dare you? And also, uh, yeah, how dare you? And what's wrong with you? Exactly. Um, the premise reads Scott Pilgrim is a 22 year old radical Canadian wannabe rock star who falls in love with an American delivery girl, Ramona Flowers, and must defeat her seven evil exes to be able to date her. Uh, if that isn't the greatest long line to a movie, uh, I don't know what is. Um, now, this movie came out in 2010, so we're 11 years past from it. Is there a movie that has been as visually unique as Scott Pilgrim vs. the World in that time frame? Uh, I don't know. I just watched one recently. It's called Last Night, and so I'm just kidding. All right, you uh, <laughs> You're going down. No, uh, the, the, way it bl- the, the way Scott Pilgrim blends the elements of like just reality and comic books and video games is, yeah, maybe the most unique uh, just best stylistic choices I've ever seen in any movie. Yeah, I mean, the closest thing to this would be what, like Spider Verse, maybe. Um, but Spider Verse is like but just that, yeah, animated. No, I, I yeah. can I don't think you can even compare the two. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, right off the bat, this is like just maybe Zombie Land kind of got close to that. Yeah, yeah, which wasn't Zombie Land like a year before or something. Probably, maybe I don't know. Point is. This movie is just insane. Um, like, just on a visual standpoint, on a sound standpoint, like, 
they just really kind of went 110% with every single technical element in this movie. It's absolutely. And it's so faithful to the comics. I just last night I finished reading book six because I wanted to be all prepared for this. <laughs> there are Thank so you. many moments in the movie that are just like literally picked out and like transcribed perfectly on screen with these characters, these perfectly casted characters. Oh yeah. I, I couldn't see literally anyone else playing these roles. Yeah. I completely agree. Uh, you know, this is like the most like when I think of Michael Cera, I think of this movie. Like this is the most Michael Cera, Michael Cera mm-hmm. performance that he's ever given. Well, I don't know. It's, that might be super bad, but it's either super bad or this. right. It's um, it's definitely his is it's hands down his best leading role work. Even when it, it just when it comes to acting skill, right? I mean, he's just the shy little impish boy in Super Bad, but like this, he actually like shows emotion at points, right? And he and, can actually kick ass too. That's the other thing, right? And like, yeah, Michael yeah, can like actually like whoop some ass, and of right. course, he's a lot of the the action work. I actually, dude, just I'm gonna drop this a little early, but I was watching in the credits, and apparently there was a special thanks to Jackie Chan. Oh my god! I wonder god. if he had. And Guillermo del Toro. And I wonder how much either of them had a hand in like, just like maybe watching a cut of the movie, helping with the action sequence. Yeah. I just think that's super interesting that like they made it into the credits. Right. Right. But yeah, the the kinetic flow of the action that like that is placed throughout the entire movie is it's expert level. Oh yeah. I can't remember. uh, I can't remember like if I've ever seen anything so slick yeah if, like, I, if that makes any sense yeah well the thing that's cool about this movie is obviously with seven evil X's, there's a lot of fight sequences and the thing is is that each fight sequence is completely different than the last mm-hmm. which is awesome because it keeps you know with a pace like this this movie is a little less than two hours so everything's moving very fast and the fact that you're not like overwhelmed with what's going on is insane because there's just so much shit that they throw at you even in the first like 10 minutes like character title names are like you know popping up every which way and uh and like there's just such an intake of information and the fact that it's not overwhelming at all even the action sequences which are like visually like crack cocaine is just incredible it's insane how they're able to pull this off I mean, yeah, a lot of those like little title cards are directly out of the book. They're all over the book. No, you the it's specifically like the scene where you're they're showing the Wallace's and uh Scott's like room and it's like Wallace, 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 and everything <laughs> is his. That's in the book. It's yeah. literally in the book. And the the set decoration looks exactly like what it looks like in the book. It's kind of crazy. Right. It was right. it was insane seeing how faithful this was. And obviously, and then uh, like it was. It would make sense. They had the creator, Brian Lee O'Malley, as a part of the project the entire, almost the entire time. Pretty sure he, I'm pretty sure he has co-writing credits on the script as well. Uh, screenplay. I can't yeah. remember. I think he did. Yeah. But yeah, he was obviously a big influence. Um, and he also uh, did the commentary with uh, Edgar Wright, which is extremely fascinating. Um, oh, it's super entertaining. The, the, all the things they get to talk about. I also just watched the one with Edgar Wright and Bill Pope, the cinematographer. So that was a lot more of just the technical aspects. And I loved learning about that. They, they, they talked about swords a lot in the third act, which I thought was super cool and how there was like different, there was like a light going through the sword so that there would, when they were like clashing, it would have a light reflecting on the face of Jason Schwartzman's character or whatever, depending on what sword uh, Scott had either the past, when he got the power of love or the power of self-respect. Right. But it's just, yeah, all those, all these things and all these decisions are just like we talked about Edgar Wright in the, uh, in the last Soho portion, 
he always he always takes it above and beyond to do what he thinks is the most uh, visually pleasurable. I don't yeah. know. That's that's uh, that sounds like the way, wrong way to word it, but like the visually <laughs> stimulating. Maybe that sounds a little better. That's a little better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and especially like this movie grabs you immediately. Um, if not mm-hmm. for you know the opening with the Universal eight uh, bit logo, yeah, like the opening sequence when their band like starts playing and the camera just like just dollies back and the room just gets like bigger and bigger and bigger. Like as soon as that moment picks, you're like, oh man, like I am in. It is like, it is maybe the, the hardest a movie has ever ruled um, maybe in existence. Uh, I mean, and then you also have Bill Hader's narration. Literally when I was reading the book, I was hearing Bill Hader <laughs> like narrate the story. It was pretty Scott awesome. Pilgrim was dating a high schooler. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. Incredible stuff. Um, so let's break down. I want to break down uh, each of the evil exes um, okay. just because, you know, it, it's a fun idea. Um, Why not? Yeah, exactly. Uh, there is no structure here. So uh, the first evil ex is uh, Matthew Patel. What are your Matthew Patel thoughts? I don't know. I, they, they, all the, especially the first fight. I, I don't know who that actor is. And I'm very surprised that I haven't seen him in anything else. Yeah. But. It is super memorable. And especially those early fights, those are almost exactly like in the book. Since there are six books, they named the movie after the second book. The first book is actually just like Scott Pilgrim, uh, Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life or something. Uh, Uh, And then the second book is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Okay, But once you get past the third book, and I know I'm bringing up the books a lot, but you're fine. They were super good. They're so good. And it's... I, I say this all the time that I think Scott Pilgrim is the truest uh, the, uh, adaptation, like comic book adaptation of anything we've seen in the last 25 years. Right. 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 I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. So the highest of praise. And I finally got to sit down and finish all six books. And so <laughs> I keep mentioning it. It's an accomplishment. You know, you should, uh, you should, we, but, we need to get it, but, but I will give this about the Matthew Patel fight. It very much sets the tone of the whole movie. The movie is only oh, yeah. sort of there, like there stylistically up until that fight sequence. Yeah. And then you're fully in this like video game world where it's like uh, Scott versus Matthew and they're like throwing fireballs and stuff. <laughs> and there's demon hipster chicks or whatever. Right. And it's a, and it's a musical, but it's, it's very, it is, it is the, establishing of what what's to come action wise throughout yeah. this, the rest of the movie i completely agree it's like the biggest like you're immediately thrown in as soon as that moment happens you're like oh so this is what the movie's gonna be um, right i mean this dude's flying it's <laughs> up until that point in the movie we're just like following this dude as he's dating a high schooler right yeah and uh, my favorite moment in that is when he starts breaking into song and anna kendrick's like what <laughs> it's incredible because it's just what right. the audience is thinking you know um Next on the Evil X list, uh, Chris Evans as uh, Lucas Lee. This is one of my favorites. Chris Evans is chewing the scenery in this movie. He is Dude, incredible. He's crazy. People thought people thought he was chewing the scenery in like Fantastic Four and Johnny Storm. And I'm like, have you even seen Scott Pilgrim? Yeah, he is operating on another level. He is hysterical in this movie. There's that moment where he's got, uh, you know, he's got like his stunt doubles or whatever. And he's like, yeah, sometimes let him do the wide shots. What if you like getting blazed back in my winnie? Yeah, right. And I that's also the, the the Chris Evans portion is one of the best, better examples of how like Edgar Wright throughout the movie is subtly hide, hiding numbers and X's or whatever. Yeah. So that like that correspond to where they're at, like he has a two tattooed on the back of his neck. 
his power is is has a stunt double. He's right. like, I'm gonna give you two minutes to like before I or before I kick your ass or whatever. Right. And uh, th- th- it happens throughout the entire movie, even like with the X on Scott's sleeve or when he's walking down the road with Ch- what knives Chow and it's an X in the snow. Which right. I uh, one of the things that I learned in the commentary was they shot a lot of this movie in the summer. Yeah. In Toronto. So all that's fake snow and CGI and it blows my mind. Yeah, it doesn't look that way at all. That's just, no, just it show looks so mastery real. on display. Um the third evil X, uh uh another favorite, Brandon Ruth is uh Todd Ingram, the vegan uh psychic. Um just incredible, really. Uh he's doing things in this movie that he's making a lot of choices and all of them work. I love him in this movie so much. I also it also makes me think I because I like how in this one Scott outsmarts him. Yeah, which proves just like it continues to prove that he's not like the strongest guy, but he's a great fighter. Uh, And even in the book, they're like, he's like a national karate champion. Little do they know. And then but this one, he literally just like tricks him with the the uh, with the with the creamer or whatever. And then gets the vegan police all to show up and vegan? vegan powers. Yeah, right. Chicken isn't vegan. That was obviously BS. Yeah, we're gonna we're I gonna turn into knowing a... about gelato though. That's pretty funny. Oh yeah, that's one of the like best written portions. It's like, oh, who knew that had egg in it? No, can egg fish? Probably yeah. Italians. Incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, sooner or later we're just gonna devolve into a quote off at some point. But I'm, I'm I'm holding back my quotes at the moment. Uh, and then we get probably my personal favorite, uh, Mae Whitman as Roxy Richer. Uh, she's hysterical in this movie just some of the best one-liners and it's such a good payoff because like you know obviously scott um when talking to ramona he's like oh i gotta fight your evil ex-boyfriend and she goes exes and you don't notice it entirely on your first watch and you're like okay you know why is she correcting him and then of course like she had a bi phase and it it, i love may whitman in this movie no a sexy phase yeah exactly (laughs) Your BS about to get after the B. Here's great. here's one thing I'll say. I think those two, I and I think even Edgar Wright complains about it in one of his commentaries. But though I think those fights happen a little too quick back to back. I do I think agree. that it establishes like it like really helps establish Scott's frustration with the whole situation, which leads to them fighting and whatnot. Right. Uh but I just I don't know. It just it, it really feels like you we just left the uh, Brandon Routh fight. And now this is happening again. And I do like how they introduce Roxy's character a little bit earlier. Yeah. Before that fight as well. That one's and she's like, you punch me in the boobs. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. And I think. Oh, and like what she says at the end where she's like, I'm going to be deadly or like next time I'm going to be deadly serious next time. That's also literally right out of the book. Right. It's all all the best lines were in just in the comics ready to be just placed in the movie. Yeah. And that's what I don't know. That I feel like the the screenplay wasn't too terribly difficult to write in that sense. No, no. And especially when Edgar writes like visual timing for his jokes, like he was exactly you know, he was the perfect guy to adapt. He this. hits those comedy beats so hard and so perfectly. Right. He's re- Dude, if anything, Edgar Wright is maybe an expert at timing. Whether it's sound, whether it's comedy, whether it's action beats, whether it's horror beats, I think it's all just expert timing that makes everything he makes so satisfying. I completely agree. A hundred percent. 
Um, probably the least developed of the X's are the Katniagi brothers. Um, they don't really have a character, and I don't know if they have it in the graphic novel either. But they have Barely. a cool, they have a cool visual fight, you know. But this is where this is this is where we start kind of phasing away. Like the Roxy fight isn't actually in a bar. The Katniagi right. twins don't like have a music battle. They don't have the battle of the bands. They get like they have like a robot. robot? Yeah, so, yeah, like a, they that fights for him. Yeah. Uh. But yeah, the I I do still love that sequence. I feel especially that song. Like, I think it's crazy that Beck, like the literally the musical artist Beck, wrote most of the original music for this movie. Yeah, because the soundtrack and incredible. It's incredible. so good, yeah. and it's these these songs that are like generationalist, like in the sense that it doesn't feel like they come from one specific era. Yeah, if that I don't know if that makes any sense. But yeah. it's like. It's it's like it's like grunge. It's like pop punk. It's but it's it's it almost feels like it's its own style. I I would buy I would literally buy a whole Sex Bob Bomb album if they had it on like vinyl. I would too. I would right? too. Let, let the let the record show. Um. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, the music and the visuals in that fight kind of save uh kind of the planned characters. And it's not even a bad thing that they're underdeveloped. It's just that you know they gotta. Keep moving. Um, obviously, the last new black is uh, Jason Schwartzman's uh, Gideon Graves, Triple G. Um, he's so obnoxiously hateable in this movie. Like, I, he's such a dream. <laughs> he's another one of the, the people that I could not see anyone else in that role. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that like, little who scene. Would you cast? There's that little scene where, like, you know, near the end of the movie, uh, where Mary Elizabeth Winstead is obviously faking her uh, love for Jason Schwartzman. And he just, like, turns around and gives, like, the most obnoxious grin. He's like, I know, baby. And I'm like, this motherfucker. I want to, like, slap him and beat his ass. And he's so, like, I see he's a good villain because you want to see his ass kicked. And he's just great. Um, Dude, and his fighting skills. I know. And... Him and Michael Sarah putting so much work in that and fight sequence and the sword play, yeah, and all of it. You don't, it's like two people you wouldn't think have it in them, right? Yeah, exactly. Because they're, yeah, but it just makes it so much better because you can actually tell that like they're doing the fighting, especially when you know the Lucas Lee fight against the stunt doubles. Like, that's Michael Sarah going up against all those guys, mm-hmm. you know, like that's insane, insane to me. But right. And the way they cut it makes it seem even that more intense. They speed it up a little bit. They right. like that. The, the music, the like score beats. Uh, oh, my God. When the music kicks in for the scene that at the end that happens twice because Scott had an extra life. Right. And the second time around, they speed up the music so that we can like skip to the part where we need to be at. Yeah, I th- it's again, it's another style, perfectly stylistic or it's another perfect stylistic decision. Of course, is what it is. It's uh, it's it's all these little intricate decisions that make a movie so unique that they're they're like literally 10, 12. Wait, what what year is it? I can't even remember. Eleven years later. Yeah, there has still not been a movie that has touched Scott Pilgrim stylistically, in my opinion. Yeah, completely. And I would I would be down to have that debate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fight us um, if you dare. The, The other thing, too, is like kind of like what we were saying with French Dispatch because there's so many actors in here like it can kind of get lost in like their screen time but I feel like every character has at least like one amazing line bro it, like the, the Aubrey Plaza and Kieran Culkin are the unsung heroes of this movie they are easily so the funniest funny. parts of the movie yeah they are his uh, Kieran Culkin like damn near, like he damn near steals the movie 
And he's hysterical. Every dude, every line he has. Wallace is one of the best characters in the book. Honestly, I, yeah. I if he had a spinoff, I would read it. Yeah, uh, but he li- like literally just when he's drunk, the way he initiates the fights, the, the times he like slides into a scene just to be like, hey, can I have your autograph real quick? Uh, he's got that uh, crash then, of the boys thing where he's like, are you <laughs> not girl the boy too? Yeah, dude, perfect. Hilarious. And then the thing, the scene with Aubrey Plaza where she's just like, I told you beep, <laughs> like I did not date. Mar- and he's like, how are you doing that with your mouth? And she's like, don't worry about it. Yeah, incredible. Uh, and then you also, Anna Kendrick, uh, always a delight to see. Did, uh, I want to drop this fun fact on you. Did you know that her and Edgar Wright dated from 2009 to 2013? No way. Of this movie. That's they were crazy. They were in a committed relationship for like five years. Oh, my God. Wow. Right? Who knew? Who knew? Well, good for her. Yeah, because like, this is whole, bro. This was pre-Pitch Perfect, Anna Kendrick. A rare sight to yep. see. This in Twilight. Um. But yeah, she's hysterical in this movie. I also adore Brie Larson in this movie. Brie Larson is incredible in this. Her song, the Black Sheep. Oh my God, uh, that song is easily the best. Yeah, her song ruled. And the way she plays her character is just so over the top and just bitchy. Mm -hmm. And she's incredible. Um, Dude, Envy Envy sticks around through the book in, through the rest of the books in the books. And I kind of hate that we don't have her come back at the end. I know, yeah. She leaves kind of like halfway through the movie and you're like, she's just like, he's, oh, but I do love the moment they leave on, bro, because like, I agree, I agree. Dude, the the damage she does in the book is kind of insane. And like, it even helps enhance the movie in that situation because it shows them what happened we don't really get to see what happened with their relationship in the past you do in the book right so it adds that level of like oh you really fucked me up right oh you really fu- or you broke my heart well you shattered mine too or whatever so right. i do love the note they leave on it but yeah it's just a shame that we couldn't get more brie larson at the time because like, i also contest that's brie larson at her hottest yeah i agree um but yeah, the weird thing is, is like some people aren't big on this movie because they're like, oh, Scott Pilgrim's unlikable. I'm like, have you seen the movie? Like, do you know the arc that Scott Pilgrim goes on in this movie? Dude, He's right. supposed to and be unlikable. Neither of the, but that's the thing. Ramona's not a good person either. She's yeah. someone that just is fight or flight. She just leaves the situation instead of dealing with it. Exactly. And that's not healthy either. Yeah. And I think that's why they work so well together. I, dude, I watched the deleted scenes, and did you know there's an alternate ending where Scott Pilgrim ends up with Knives Chow instead of Ramona? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ramona goes off on her own and goes through the door. How, like, as much as I think that's the healthier ending for both characters, right? I think, and the end of the day, they need each other. They, they, like, the, the, the whole crux of the movie is that these two broken people need one another to make them whole, right? Exactly. And and the, that's what I, that's what I love about the movie. I love how funny it is. I love how it hit. Yeah, it, it, it hits all the comedic beats. It hits all the visual beats, but it hits all the romantic beats as well. Yes. You really, really feel their relationship. Right. And, again, yeah. and I think that's a combination of the expert writing and the expert casting and the all around style of this movie that they portray. That we just lock in on this relationship, especially yeah. you and I. Right. Um. Yeah, no, and I, I think it helps um, that you buy into it because, like, there, of course, there's some, like, harsh words spoken, you know, when they're at the bar. There's kind of some really curt comments going on there. And, it, it, you know, they kind of land, even in a movie that's moving this fast and allows, like, scenes like that to kind of leave an impact um, emotionally where you're like, oh, damn, that was kind of, like, a little too far. Um, but I, re- I, I really appreciate how they develop the relationship. And obviously, mm-hmm. like, 
you know, they were working on this movie while uh, O'Malley was like, you know, finishing the books. So they, right. yes. they had filmed those two endings because they didn't know how O'Malley was going to wrap it up. And then, of course, you know, they saw how they wrapped yes. it up and they put the right yes. ending in. But it just goes to show like how collaborative the process was. Mm-hmm. The fact that they were able to not only adapt the source material in a way that leaves everyone satisfied, but also, you know, with a story that's not wasn't finished at the time, the fact that they were able to, you know, kind of contact the creator and still be like working with them to adapt this is insane. The fact that you reminded me of that kind of blew my mind. Cause now that I think about it, the, uh, the book ending is a little bit better the, when it comes to the end sequence, because there's no, like, there's no hypnotizing chip. She's not like, I, he's just in my head. The whole thing is Gideon never, this is going to be a huge spoiler for the book. Gideon doesn't have Ramona when he gets to the, the club at the end of the movie to fight Gideon. They're like, wait, she's not with you. And it's, if you find out that she's been just like, she ditched, she went back to her parent, her dad's house. She ran, right. she, again, she's just, in, she's not fly. She's not fight. She's just flight. Right. It's a gets away and leaves the situation before she can be hurt. Right. And that's, that's like her overarching theme because that's why there are now seven evil exes that will fight for her because she just up and ditched them. Right. Uh, but then, but so like you see that not, not only she, they weren't, he didn't have control of her at that moment, but she was, he was inside of her head in the like kind of more of a like fantasy sense. Like Scott, literally he goes inside her purse and then you see like an evil monster version of Gideon who has like slave Leia version of Ramona. And I think that might've been like a more entertaining, more expensive ending, but you reminded me like that he didn't write the last book yet. That's insane. Yeah. It's full on the game of Thrones uh, situation. It's like, you don't have an ending. So you had to make up your own thing. Right. And then I love that Brian Lee O'Malley didn't just like rewrite or he gave us something different because the fans I think would have been more bummed out if they just got a carbon copy of what they already saw in the movie as the right. ending to this series that they had spent to- so much time reading. Yeah. So and it gives, I, it gives I think good on, them, good on him for that. Yeah. It gives them both like its own different thematic ending as well, because with this sure, one, it's like, very unique. Right. Because with that's the movie, why I think he's got to face off against his negative self after everything. Well, I think in the book that happens earlier, if I'm correct. It happens way earlier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and of course, great uh comedic payoff where oh i you know, they love just that. get along it's incredible Dude, that's um, so that's that's another thing so i complained about how close together the third and the fourth fight were i think the fact that we just had this huge fight sequence that got replayed because he had the extra life if they would have gone and had another fight against nega scott i think that literally would have been too much overload but the way that they ended on that comedy beat is so much better incredible. it's so great incredible he's just like yeah we're gonna go get waffles on monday or something (laughs) yeah and i'm just like and then yeah but i think they really could have gone with either ending and i get why they chose what they chose uh but the riskier ending is definitely the knives chow ending and i think that would have been a very cool thing to see yeah i love ellen wong in this movie she's just so so good um she's really uh, she might she might be the like what, uh, and now what's a, she yeah, might be. not be not even the standout, but like the diamond in the rough. Yeah, just yeah. like the one that, that that goes the most unnoticed. But really, her commitment to the role and her like passion and, and she she almost feels like a cartoon character in yeah. the sense that. Yeah. But 
I don't know. I think there there are so many great aspects of this movie. There's too, maybe too many to count. Oh yeah, yeah. If we were here, we'd be here for like twenty four hours. You know, just writing about everything. Um, now because this is a comedy, uh, I want to ask you like what some of your favorite quotes are um, from the movie because I have quite a few of my own. <sighs> you, I wish you would have let me prepare for this. I don't know. Well, all right, then I'll go. Head. Let me think. Uh, I love. No, yeah, you definitely on. go. It'll make- I love the vegan line. I think that's incredible. Um, you know, obviously the oh, I've never kissed a boy, and Scott Pilgrim's like, "Hey, me neither." <laughs> incredible. Um, uh, I do like the moment where Scott goes to his apartment, he flips on the lights, and he's like, "Ah!" and he's like, "You may or may not just saw a man's junk." That was incredible. Uh, I like the Scott. What is it, Scott? You know, something, something. What is it, other Scott? And there's just, you know, his boyfriend in there with him. Incredible. You know, honest, yeah, maybe it might not be. I don't know that the quotes are as funny as more as the bits, like the bit where it's just like there's more and more dudes in one bed. Yeah. Or like where the it's like the visual gag where Ch- Knives is knocking on the door and Wallace answers and he's and she's like, is Scott there? And he's like, he just left. And then he bursts through the window <laughs> flying like uh full through or the 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 scene where he flips the box back and it lands in the trash can that they right. had to shoot like 120 something times it's insane how that works yeah right yeah um, uh, it's definitely those I lo- those visual bits is what what yeah. sells that movie for me more than the quotes yeah i agree uh i just love the i am so sad i'm so very very sad that is my ultimate spotify joke i'm like hey you guys gotta listen to this and you know it's only like three seconds incredible but yeah this movie's hysterical which is good um you know edgar wright's always excelled in his comedy uh but combine that with the insane visuals that's going on and you know just the creativity on display like it's a classic and i think thankfully people have recognized that now like you know most people really adore this movie um anyone i've ever shown it to love it right it's very easy to like um but yeah I, i i'm just i'm interested in to see like if we will ever get like a movie this energetic, like creative, like visually, um, especially for a live action movie too. Like, I wonder if we're ever going to get something this creative again. I don't know. I mean, we probably will, but uh, what? Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, what would be the project? That's exactly. Thing. Yeah, I have no idea. But it's such a cool like standout. The fact that this is eleven years old and it hasn't aged a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, the CGI is still outstanding to this day, and that's you know, oh. Yeah, I before. Yeah, I do. I also I just thought of something that I definitely want to mention because yeah. Kim Pine, either easily one of my favorite characters, completely shafted in the movie. Yeah. She is such a pivotal character in the book. She makes out with not only Ramona, but also Knives Chow throughout the book. Nice. And like she's very much more of a connective character to Scott. She's a past relationship. She's like that that uh, almost like a conscience for him. Right. And she all she really is in the movie is kind of bitchy, yeah. even though, like, I love it. All the things she says and like the fact whenever she's ready to start and she's screaming it behind the drums like she does a really great job is at uh, portraying the character. They just didn't give him give her nearly enough to do that. Right. May, that might be one of my only complaints about that. Movie. <laughs> That's understandable. Yeah, I think my only knock against it is kind of what you were saying. I feel like there's um, some there, there's some moments in between the fights that I feel like could have been extended just a tad. But I mean, you know, I'm like I'm scraping the bottle of the barrel here. I, I love this movie. Right. I think it's hilarious. Um, you almost get a little bit overwhelmed by all the action happening, like just back to back. But right. like, 
like you said earlier, the fact that all these different fights are are very much stylized differently and they, they all feel really unique. That totally helps. Yeah. Uh, appease, like just, yeah, appease that kind of like worry that I have. Right. Exactly. Now, is Scott Pilgrim, would you say this is your favorite Edgar Wright movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Easily. Okay. Dude, okay. this is a, I mean, this is top 10 all time. Oh, okay. yeah. All right. All right. Number four, that. in fact. Oh, wow. Well, damn. All right. Well, then there you go. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I, if no one hasn't guessed it before, I'm very partial to the Cornetto trilogy. But uh, this is like, I adore Scott Pilgrim. So, you know, um, I think it's awesome. And like, you know, I, you're not alone. I think a lot of people consider this Edgar Wright's uh, best movie. So, you know, um, good for them. I'm happy that I'm, I'm happy that at least now everyone's on board. And I'm sure if this had come out right. in 2021, it would have made a billion dollars. Probably not. But, you know, I, I, dude, I still don't know. It's you. It's not. It's uh, you got to. You still got to understand. It's not the it's not the Marvel characters. It's not the DC characters. It's still a very niche comic book run that like. Most right. people just don't know about. I guess, yeah, but oh well, sucks for that. I, I mean, obviously, like you, because you say, uh, if it came out today, then you think it would make a million dollars. But like, if it came out today, how many people have actually read Scott Pilgrim or would even have wanted to read Scott Pilgrim with there not being the movie that already had come out? Sure, sure, yeah, but That's yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Um, but yeah, I mean, incredible movie. Watch it yeah. if you haven't. It was on Netflix for a while. I think they took it off, unfortunately. But it'll make it way back on the Netflix, and you know, oh, so it'll be somewhere. But yeah. really, go buy physical media. The four yeah, they just put out the four K, baby. Right, so many special features on that puppy. Oh yeah, yeah. My uh, my Blu-ray copy has like four commentary tracks. I gotta listen to the cast ones, dude. The four K literally has like a trivia uh, button where you can like turn it on and it gives you little blurbs. Like, oh, that's incredible film. I, 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 it was a little bit too much while I was watching with the commentary, of course. but now I have to go. I have another reason to just go back and rewatch this movie yeah. again. That's the other thing. It's very like rewatchable too. Like I've, I've watched this movie more than others. Um, you know, just cause you're in the mood. It's a good comedy. It's a good action movie. It's going to hit all the meats, you know, and God right. damn it. Good for Edgar Wright. He's killing it. Um, if there's one thing you should take away from this pod, Edgar Wright, one of the best directors working today, and he's got to, you know, check out his stuff. He, he rules. And, you know, I hope, Absolutely. He, I hope he just keeps making it, keeps going. But, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess final statement for, like, overarching statement, like, in my opinion, the best movies and the best filmmakers are the ones that, like, touch on the best aspects of, like, uh, theater, I guess. You know the masks that are, like, comedy and tragedy. Right. You have to be able to make someone cry, but also pee their pants laughing. Right. And those are the uh, the people like the Tarantinos, Kevin Smith's, Taika Waititi's, all my favorite directors, though, and and including Edgar Wright and even Wes Anderson to a point. Yeah, right. he's like uh, like his stuff is funny, not because it's a joke. It's funny because of how it's styled. Right. But those are the people that you got you want to watch and you want to rewatch because they have so much to say with their movies, whether right. it is to make you laugh or to make you cry. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I guess uh, couldn't recommend anything by any of the people we've talked about today more. Exactly. I completely agree. I have nothing more to add. Um, yeah. So I guess that'll do it for this episode. Brent, thanks for coming on again. You know, you're a regular right. at this point. You're, you know, yes. uh, you'll be coming back soon enough. Um, I'm excited, you know, apparently you've got a pod in the works. I'll be very excited to see Hopefully. how that, 
Uh, we just gotta find comes- time to start recording, but yeah. As soon as you get going, it'll happen. Um, I'll definitely but, let you yeah, take a break from me. I know I, I know I fought for Scott Pilgrim to be on this podcast, and now I'm the three-peat, but I can, I'll can i take a step back. I'll let you get some other people on the podcast. Hey, you're fine, man. You're fine. As long as the news keep coming in, we're still good. Um, I'm just kidding. No. I'm bogarting the mic over here. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we're on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Anchor. Um, we're out every Friday. Uh, be sure to tell people about the pod, you know, listen to some guys being nudes, just kind of vibing, having hot takes or not hot takes, very neutral takes. Your hot takes. My hot takes. Yeah, exactly. Wait till we get to fucking Ryan Reynolds or some shit. Um, yeah, but that'll do it. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week and, uh, we'll see y'all later. Bye.